1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful diamond ring, launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th. You can preview it now exclusively at BlueNile.com. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 924 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Thursday evening into Friday. And thank you, as always, for joining us on the podcast. Not a lot of fun. On Thursday evening, if you are a Hawks fan, a 112-91 loss at the hands of the Utah Jazz. Some of that was predictable, given the injury situation that we'll talk about in a second, but also the Hawks just could not make a shot, really the entire game, um, with the exception of Tony Snell in the fourth quarter, basically, and some Kevin Herter and some John Collins. It was pretty hideous offense throughout, and really the, the first half was kind of unwatchable, even as an objective NBA observer. The Jazz had a slow start as well, so not a lot of entertainment value to this game. I know a lot of Hawks fans that were reaching out to me or on Twitter, talking about kind of bailing on this game throughout because it was kind of hard to watch and you know I, I never want to shame people for that so I, I understand if you missed the game I will catch you up as much as I possibly can on the podcast and we'll dive in as we always do on the show so uh, going to the pregame and setting the stage a little bit here Utah is quite good that is worth pointing out the Jazz had won 12 of 13 coming into the day, coming into the night and they were top five in the league on offense defense and overall so that's worth pointing out also, the Jazz were at full strength in terms of injuries and on full rest. So three things there. The Hawks could not match any of those three things coming into the game. And then it got worse in the afternoon. So the Hawks on the back-to-back here, no injury report until Thursday afternoon. And then at the 1 o'clock announcement, the Hawks listed Trey Young as questionable with a right calf contusion. Um, then... At the 5.45 pregame press conference from Lloyd Pierce, he announced that Trey was going to miss this game. So when the Hawks... We're supposed to have Trey. They were already going to have it up to up a battle in this game, about a seven point underdog coming in with, with Trey, and then with with Trey out, it became double digits, and that be kind of you know obviously it was not all because of that, but obviously the offense has been really bad whenever Trey leaves the court this entire season. Something I was tweeting about early in the day on Thursday about just how how bad the split is. It's kind of almost almost back to last year's level, not quite that bad, but close as to how good. They have been with Trey Young on the court, and then how bad they've been with Trey off the court. This is a good example of that in this game. So no Trey in this game, in addition to DeAndre Hunter, who is still out. Um, Kevin Hurd ended up playing, despite being listed on the injury report, but Noah Kong was well. He was questionable, then ruled out. So the Hawks only had 12 guys available, and that included both two ways and Bruno Fernando. So they played an eight, a nine-man rotation, I would say, through most of this game until, until garbage time in the fourth quarter, um, but not exactly the rotation that they were looking for coming into the season or into the day. So, unfortunate there. And again, the Hawks are supposed to lose this game, especially with, with, with Trey out. Losing to the Jazz, given the back-to-back and all of that stuff, is no, there's no shame in that. It was a little bit worse than you would expect, though. That's worth pointing out as well. So, at the outset, um, the Hawks actually scored first with Kevin Hurd hitting a jump shot. And then Utah scored 12 straight points to go up 12-2. to um, Some shaky officiating early on against the Hawks with some free throws given to the Jazz, but the Hawks just couldn't make a shot, and that kind of continued the entire way. They um, had some struggles with Cam Reddish in the early going. He tried to go Rudy Gobert. That was the theme the entire game was the Hawks kind of trying to attack Gobert for reasons, passing understanding, because <laughs> he's really good at defense. Cam got blocked by him. Um, 
Register took a pretty pretty bad step back three that he almost airballed and had a pretty bad turnover, so he got off to a rough start, I will say. Did have a dunk in transition after that, but not a whole lot going well offensively other than Kevin Herter, who had seven of the first 11 points for the Hawks to have them sort of hang around a little bit. There was one really funny sequence coming out of a timeout that the Hawks turned it over twice in a row. But in the middle of that, Donovan Mitchell missed a wide-open dunk on a fast break, just like missed it. It was kind of a, you know, yakety sacks music kind of stuff. It was pretty ugly um, on both sides, as I was saying early in the top. And really, the first quarter was the peak um, of the hideousness in terms of the watching experience. It was 20-16 to 16 in favor of the Jazz. That tells you a lot on its own. But the Hawks shot 6 of, six of 26 from the floor, 1 of 7 from 3, only 3 assists. They tried to force me click Capella a little bit too much in the first quarter, and he was really struggling. He was one of seven from the floor. Um, not enough John Collins, I didn't think, in the first quarter as well. And um, the Jazz only scored six points in the final seven and a half minutes of the first quarter and had six turnovers of their own. So it wasn't like they were pulling away. And in fact, Utah didn't score in the first 90 seconds of the, of the second quarter either, so they actually scored six points in nine minutes, the Jazz did, at one point in this game. And they still scored 112 and won by 21 points. So, yeah, not a lot going on there. The Hawks did cut the lead to one briefly in the second quarter when Kevin Herter hit a three. And then it was a 7-0 run by the Jazz to force a timeout from the Hawks. At one point, these are front court players, by the way, and the standout, you know, high-level front court players. At one point in the first half, the trio of John Collins, Clint Capella, and Danilo Gallinari, three top, you know, 75 players in the league conservatively, were three of 22 from the floor combined. That is just, you know, impossibly bad for front court guys, especially when you're talking about Capella, uh, take, who's usually a guy who only takes high percentage shots. That's pretty ugly. Uh, Collins heated up a little bit after that, but the other two never really got going. And Utah led for most of, you know, double digits by double digits for most of the way in the first half from there. Um, Collins had a nice little flurry at the end of the half to cut the lead to eight, but the Hawks shot 15 of 50 from the floor in the first half. And only three free throw, only three free throw, free throw attempts, and they had a sub eighty offensive rating. They did play good defense though in the first half. That is worth pointing out. They had some help from Utah, but if you're trying to find a positive in this game, there aren't very many. I would say the first half defense was pretty good from Atlanta. They held the Jazz to ninety two offensive rating. They shot sub forty percent on twos. They had ten turnovers, and part of that was Utah not playing well. But the Hawks actually did pretty well defensively in the first half. Now, after that, it got a little bit uglier, but that did happen. Still, they're down eight. The game wasn't over at halftime. Obviously, without Trey, it's an uphill battle to even be, you know, only only down eight going into the halftime break, but it wasn't too, too bad, and then the second half got out of, got out of hand. But before we get to the second half and the rest of the games and all the takeaways, individual breakdowns and all of that stuff, it worth from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is rockauto.com. With more makes and models than ever, it's now impossible to stock all the auto parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure questioning from a counterperson that's often totally pointless, especially when they were only going to give you the parts or the brands that the warehouse happens to carry? Instead, you have rockauto.com, either at home or in your pocket, and that is the best possible option. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always super low and the same for pros and yourselfers, so why spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or your truck, and from there you want to write locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, the second half was, as you might expect, pretty bad because the Hawks, Hawks lost, lost the first half by eight, second half by 13. 
And in the second half, it was much more defensive issues versus off. I mean, offense was still bad, but the, de- the defense kind of let up a little bit as well. So kind of a group, uh, a group collective mess after halftime. A 10 to four run by Utah to open up the half to go up by 14. After Capella opened up with two misses in a row, but in fact, the Hawks missed their first seven shots, and at that point, they were 15 to 57 from the floor, which is like 26 percent or so, something like that. Just absolutely hideous. Uh, they finally made a jump shot with, with John Collins, but honestly, the offense was better from there. The rest of the game was like league average offense. They just couldn't get stops from that point in time. The Hawks trailed by 17. It was sort of slowly bleeding away in the third quarter. Uh, in the first, you know, 2.99 quarters, the point guards were 0 of 11. And then Goodwin actually made the only shot that the point guards made in the entire game was a pull-up three at the end of the third quarter to clash uh, the lead back to 17. But the Hawks were shooting still as badly as they were before. And without getting into the nitty-gritty, because there's, there's no reason to on this podcast today, um, the fourth quarter was uneventful. There was never really a run the Hawks made. The only thing that was worth pointing out as sort of a bright spot and notable event was that Tony Snell made four threes in the fourth quarter. And Tony Snell, you know, has not, like, been a huge fixture in the rotation this year, but he, he, he looked pretty well, I thought, in this game. Pierce talked about the fact that he looked pretty good, and I agree with that. Obviously, the shooting stands, stands on its own, but getting something from Tony Snell right now is of use, so that's worth pointing out. But the rest of the team... Pretty bad, and the last four minutes were all garbage time, of course, with Knight, Fernando, and Mays on the court together for the first time in a while. So not a whole lot to talk about like in the ebbs and flows of the game. This is a season-low shooting performance from the Hawks. They were 32 of 98. That is 32.7% from the floor. Again, that's a season worst. They were 9 of 31 from three. I mean, fortunately, they were 18 of 19 from the free throw line. If not for that, it would have been even worse. Um, that was at least reasonably solid. Only 19 assists. And turnovers, actually only 11. That was the one bright spot offensively in this game was they did not turn the ball over because they were just missing all the shots. But that's uh, pretty bad on its own. Um, the combination of Tony Snell and Kevin Herter were uh, 6 of 9 from 3. The rest of the team was 3 of 22. So we'll go through the individual players in a second. But, you know, that tells the story. I, I don't want to belabor it too much. Anyone that watched this game knows, but the Hawks just missed a ton of shots that were makeable in this game. In fact, I'm going to play some audio for you now. Uh, it's two questions and two answers from Lloyd Pierce, the first of which is from Sarah Spencer, who asked, as you'll hear in a moment, about Rudy Gobert and the impact that he had around the rim, particularly on Capella, who had a rough night. And you'll hear my voice asking Lloyd about the overall shot quality in this game and how he felt the Hawks did in terms of creating looks. Obviously, they didn't make them, which is uh, worth pointing out too for professionals, but just kind of seeing what he thought about the shot quality overall. So here's what he had to say about those topics. Hey, Lloyd, um, how much did Rudy Gobert kind of frustrate you guys in the paint tonight yeah I mean obviously he he was a big impact on um, things down in the paint um, specifically with Clint uh, you know I'm trying to help Clint and, and just letting him know like you know what with guys like that such as yourself you got to go right at him you, you can't go and and then make it uh, a game where he can be effective where he's he's using his length and using his positioning uh, you really have to attack his body and attack him with momentum and pace but that, I mean, he's a defensive player of the year. He's a handful for anybody in every team. Uh, so we had to find ways. And I thought we had an opportunity at the end of the second quarter, I believe, where John hits a three and then hits a pull-up because we're able to pull him away from the basket and try and punish him that way. You said a little bit about it, but what did you make of the overall shot quality? Obviously, shots not falling, but were you were you okay with the shots that you got in this game? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you know, we talked about it before, and I said that, you know, these guys were the best team we've played thus far um, because of their chemistry. And I think when you have Rudy Gobert in the paint, you know, they're going to run you off the three-point line for the most part, and they're going to put you into a position where you're shooting long twos, uh, mid-range. And if you are getting downhill, Rudy Gobert is there. So, 
you know, it's a matter of can we make some shots, of which obviously tonight we did it. And can we put pressure downhill to, to get something easy or get to the free throw line? And, and we didn't do much of that either. So uh, it's one thing, with Rudy, but I think they understand how to defend with him being back there to make it tough for you to get rhythm shots. So it's interesting to hear that. I think the it's, the truth is somewhere in the middle when it comes to where the Hawks just missed open shots or just created a lot of shaky looks. There was some bad finishing that happened in this game. Capella was a bad finisher in this game, 3-14. Obviously, some of those were decisions that he made. Um, he got a lot of his own rebounds as well, but I would say challenging Gobert repeatedly was not a good idea necessarily from him. But there were some just bad missed shots. So I think shot quality-wise, it wasn't great from Atlanta. Part of that's not having Trey Young. Part of that's sort of relying on Rondo and stuff like that. Some ugly attempts from Reddish, for instance. Uh, Goodwin was pretty uh, aggressive because he felt like, probably felt like they had to be and did not shoot the ball well, obviously. So there were some creation, fundamental like scheme issues in this game. Um, also just some bad shot making. So is a mixture of both. It always is, but I think this this time around, anytime you can combine a shoot 30% or so from the floor, it's kind of always a mixture of both. So that's worth pointing out, but I was interested to see what Lloyd had to say about that. So there you go on that. You know, big picture takeaways in terms of numbers in this game. Defensively, the Hawks allowed a 1.17 points per, per, points per possession to the Jazz. A lot of that's in the second half where it got a little bit out of hand. Jordan Clarkson got hot, for instance. Um, the, the Jazz are good offensively. They're a top-five team on offense, and they kind of performed at their normal baseline level. The Hawks are a little bit better, actually, historically, with Trey Young not available defensively. They are much worse overall, but defensively, they're usually a little bit better. That held a little bit here, but honestly, Rondo is not a good defender right now, so that uptick is not really the same as it was in years past when they're kind of playing bigger and that kind of stuff. Goodwin's better than Rondo at that, but you know they were okay defensively for portions of this game, also shaky in the second half. Um you know, rebounding wise, they uh, won the offensive glass pretty handily, but defensively they gave up they gave up a pretty pretty good chunk to the Jazz. Um, you know, assist and actually they held the Jazz on 19 assists, which is kind of funny. But um, other than that, you know, not a whole lot going on there defensively, and then offensively the numbers speak for themselves. As as I said before, there just wasn't a lot to speak of. So we'll kind of leave it there for now, and we'll come back to the individual stuff in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. The NFL season is coming to a close in the near future, but the biggest game of all is still to come. And with that in mind, there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. If you listen to this show, you will undoubtedly know that the NBA is now in full swing. On top of that, basketball fans may also be interested in jam-packed college basketball slates virtually every night of the week. And from there, the matchup for all the marbles in the NFL is now set. And there are other sports also worthy of your attention, from hockey to soccer to MMA and baseball is coming soon. If none of that gets you going, there's a full menu of offerings from BetOnline on any sport you can think of. And BetOnline also has a huge menu of player props as well as live wagering options, future bets, alternate lines, and much, much more. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus with betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also sponsored by the good folks at CBDMD. February is here and the holidays are behind us, and that means it's time to catch up on some badly needed sleep. While getting a good night's sleep is sometimes easier said than done, our good friends at CBDMD have exactly what you need to sleep harder than some corners of the NBA media have slept on Hawks forward DeAndre Hunter. CBDPM blends 500 milligrams of high-quality CBD with melatonin, valerian root, chamomile, and other sleeping money ingredients to create a powerful and effective sleep aid. If you feel like relaxing before you try to sleep, their CBD bath salts 
will fuse superior CBD with Epsom, Dead Sea, and Himalayan salts to turn any bath into a luxury experience. And beyond that, the bath salts are available in lavender or eucalyptus scents, as well as a soothing nighttime blend with melatonin and calming herbs. CBDMD is huge for me to help pedal down after a long night covering the Hawks or covering other NBA storylines, and they're fantastic for anyone trying to relax or help to improve their sleeping habits. And to make things even easier, they're offering all of our listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that is CBDMD.com, promo code NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior products from CBDMD. All right, so the individual stuff to close out the podcast, and I know it's sort of a grind this time around, so forgive me, but I thank you for listening to the pod, as always. On the bench, um, the four guys, sorry, the three guys who did not play much were Nathan Knight, Bruno Fernando, and Scott Mays. They all got in the, at the end of the game. They all scored. Um, not a whole lot to take away, honestly. Some pretty bad, um, I would say, almost irrelevant reps because the game was just over. Um, Mays was 0-3 from the floor. Knight was 2-3, of three, got, got some activity going on there. Bruno actually was 1-2, of two, had 4.3 rebounds. So nothing out of the ordinary necessarily, but that was that. Um, elsewhere on the bench, Goodwin was a struggle offensively. He was one of 10 from the floor. That is not good, obviously. Uh, missed all five of his two-point attempts. He actually had six points. It was actually plus seven, considering the late the late kick that the Hawks put together. Three assists, two rebounds. I thought he was okay um, defensively, gave some energy. He was pushing the ball for sure, trying to give them that sort of injection. Just didn't have his shooting in this game. And obviously you can't just, over, I would say, paper over one of 10. So an uneven game, to be sure. From Goodwin, Solomon Hill, 16 minutes, 2-4 from the floor, 6 points and 2 rebounds. Had, had one nice drive and finish, actually, off the bounce, which is not something he does a whole lot of at this point in time. But he was okay. Um, not great, but okay. Uh, Gallinari struggled by his standards, 1-6 of six from the floor, 0-2 from 3. Looked a little bit slow. You know, he's always a little bit slow, but looked even slower in this game on the back-to-back. I think maybe that was not necessarily uh, treating him all that well. And he's not necessarily the greatest shape either, so you could tell that on occasion with him kind of being winded, not getting not getting up and down the court all that effectively, and then defensively he's not been very good either. So not a great one from him. And then last guy on the bench is Tony Snell. As I said before, the big story for Tony is four four from three in the fourth quarter. Um, he was quiet in terms of shooting the ball before that. Like he played, he was in the rotation in this game. Played 24 minutes and only got up five shots. He needs to shoot the ball a little bit more aggressively. Hopefully that fourth quarter will unlock him a little bit more. He's not a guy that's going to take the ball off the dribble a whole lot for you, but um, when he's open, he's got to fire it away. That's one of his big values offensively in this on this team, which is kind of as a spacer. So shoot the ball, Tony. Let it fly. I thought he played reasonably well. Had 12 points, of course. Those are the four threes. Had a steal and two assists in 24 minutes. Um, to the starters, we will start on the more negative note, and I have some audio to accompany this, but I'll talk about him first. Rajon Rondo, 28 minutes. He was scoreless, 0 of 7 from the floor, 0 of 3 from 3. He was minus 28, which is a uh, tied for the game worst for Rondo. Did have 8 assists. He's, he's still a good passer. Um, 6 rebounds for Rondo. But I think generally he was very, very bad in this game, and for the back-to-back, he was 0 of 11 combined. Um, I'm not going to try to belabor it too much, but Rondo is not a big plus right now. Let's just say that to be on the kinder side. Um, this is one of the concerns that, that you have when you sign Rondo right now, and we talked about it a lot over the summer and into the fall. I had you know people, I had Harrison Pagan on the podcast who covered him with the Lakers. Regular season Rondo is not a good product. It has not been for quite some time. That was the case in this game. Obviously, the passing is occasionally impressive, but he was quite bad in this game. Um, I want to play some audio for you. Actually, it's actually from before the game started. Um, Lloyd Pierce talked about uh, lots of stuff in the pregame today, and it still sort of holds, holds up because um, Chris Kirshner asked him about what Rondo has given them on the court. Because obviously, as I've been talking about the entire time, the lion's share of the discussion on Rondo dating back to training camp has been about off-court stuff and mentorship and leadership and uh, you know 
diagramming plays, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Chris asked Lloyd about his on-court performance. Again, this is before the game tonight where he was actually quite bad, again. But uh, this is what Lloyd had to say about Rondo and how he's been, how he's been contributing on the floor. I know you've been asked a lot about what Rondo has brought to the locker room, but what have you thought about what he's done on the floor? You know, I think it's one of those deals where we're still trying to get him going. Um, I thought he had some tremendous energy in Washington in the Laker game. I thought his first stint last game was pretty good, not so much in the second second half. Uh, but he brings he brings a level of, of confidence for our other guys. Um, you know, obviously, the depth concern right now with all of our injuries is limited. What I think he's really going to bring uh, when you start using uh, the consistency of who he's going to be playing with, Gallo, Eventually, guys like Kevin, Cam, um, you know, one of those centers, whether it's John, Clint, Big O. Um, right now, he's he's having to work with different guys every game because we've had injury concerns, and I think that really kills his effectiveness. Um, but he's done some tremendous things. I, I, I talked about him being one of our players of the game. Had we won the Lakers game, it's something that we do. Uh, he, he took away eight points in transition from them in that Laker game, just a cerebral basketball play. It's a winning play, taking a foul instead of LeBron getting a dunk or Kyle Kuzma getting a dunk. He does that. That's the value he brings. That's not going to show up on the stat sheet. Um, some of the passes and the plays and, and not turning the basketball over, those things don't really resonate as clearly and as loudly. But those are the things that I think he brings and will eventually bring even more so when he gets a consistent lineup that he's playing with. So part of that is true from Lloyd. Part of that is him getting, getting the players' backs. Um, He's not going to call. He's not going to come on in a pregame and kill Rajon Rondo, obviously. But you can hear there that he, he acknowledged he's not been playing well very, very recently. He was pretty good in the Lakers game. That's worth pointing out. We talked about that on Monday on, after the game. He was a relative positive in that spot. But you know, there's something to the fact that he might be. It might be linked to him not playing with the same guys, and the rotation has been upside down with all the injuries. That is worth pointing out. I am skeptical that Rondo will be will be good. He'll be better than this because this, these last two games have been like pretty unwatchably bad, but he'll be better than this. It's just, um, it's a storyline for sure. I think the two-year contract that he got was a mistake when it happened, as I said on the podcast. Um, and they're they're definitely banking on him off court. But again, when you pay someone what they're paying him to be a backup point guard, he has to play. And he's not going to be great, I don't think, in regular season, but he has to be better than this. He can't just kill you. He's not the only reason why they struggle without Trey either, but um, it's been a big of a struggle, so I wanted to at least talk about that at the beginning here, and he wasn't the only guy who struggled in this game, but he was quite bad. Um, speaking of guys who struggled, Reddish was, again, poor in this game, 12 points, 3 assists, did have a steal, and 2 rebounds. He was minus 22, was 5 of 14 from the floor, 0 of 3 from 3, and Cam's shooting numbers... They're just kind of unavoidably bad. Like you can't really say much else about it. You know his his efficiency stats are just you know off a cliff right now. Um, since the big sort of bounce back that he had against Brooklyn when he had 24 points uh, last Wednesday, the last four games he was two of seven, three of eight, one of eight, and five of 14. Um, he, there's just too many games like this season basically since the start of January. He only has th- two games where he shot more than 40 percent from the floor. And that is uh, not even a baseline that you want to get into. Like for, you know, for the three games in February, it's been pretty hideous. So just the season-long numbers for, for Reddish are so bad that there's there's no spinning them offensively. Uh, defensively, he made a few plays in this game, but I think also that he hasn't been his normal self on that end of the floor either. So I could pick on that as well, but it was not a good night for Cam. We'll just we'll kind of leave it there for now. Uh, Click Capella also struggled. Uh, did have 17 rebounds, which jumps off the page to you, but eight of those were offensive, and I think... 
the majority of those were off his own misses. So there's a little bit of nuance there. He rebounded, he rebounded the ball well, rebounded the ball well, I should say, but it wasn't like he was good in this game. He was not. He was outplayed soundly by Gobert. Even though Rudy only had 11 points and 12 rebounds, he was much, much better than Capella. If you watch this game, you would know that just kind of the way that it was happening. The finishing is not always electric anyway, but he just didn't have any answer for Gobert in this game. They kind of went to him a little bit more than I would have, especially in the first half. And then defensively, he was floating, made a few plays, but didn't didn't block a shot. Wasn't his normal dominant self around the rim either. So a bad night from Clint. It's going to happen every once in a while. Like I'm not going to kill Clint Capella, who's been good this season, uh, about this game. But he was not good. He got outplayed pretty soundly by a guy who's better than he is in Gobert. Um, and then the last two guys that we talked about were probably the two best players overall for Atlanta in this game, Herter and Collins. Herter was uh, better in the first half. He was okay in the second half. They had 16 points, three steals, had an assist. Um, 7 of 14 from the floor, 2 of 5 from 3. It wasn't like he was fantastic. He made some shots that they actually needed him to make. Um, he was probably the only guy who shot the ball well, except for Tony Snell in this game. But uh, other than that, it wasn't like he was electric. He just was okay, and that, and that felt great compared to, compared to everybody else. And then Collins, kind of a slow start. It wasn't efficient by his standards, 6 of 16 from the floor and 1 of 6 from 3. But at least he defended, made some athletic plays, made some force plays, had 17 and 7. Again, same thing as Herter. Like, it wasn't like a good Collins game, um, capital G for him, but he still played reasonably well and contributed in a positive manner. This is a game in which you look up, up and down the box score, up and down my notes that I could have got into deep, deeply on this podcast, but no one was great. Uh, I think Collins and Herter were the guys who played at their at the reasonable level or better. And then, of course, uh, Snell and maybe Solomon Hill as well, but... Everybody else below average. It was a night to forget, and we will leave it there for now. Last thing on the pod is that the All-Star game seems to be happening. Uh, we knew that already. It's been reported. But it's kind of a slow drip, but Sean Serrani of The Athletic reported that the NBA the Player Association have now agreed formally to have the All-Star game in Atlanta on March 7th. More to come there. Also, the NBA released their fo- the first fan returns on voting on Thursday afternoon. Trey Young is 6th among East Guards behind Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Jalen Brown, and Zach Levine. Lloyd Pierce said pregame on Thursday that it's BS, that Trey's only sixth, which people, I tweeted that out, people seemed to think that he was getting on the fans, and he really wasn't, he was trying to defend his guy, that was the why I took, I mean, I heard it live, I was there, it was pretty lighthearted, he wasn't getting on the fans, he was just trying to, I think, support Trey, that was the takeaway that I had from that conversation, uh, also he was kind of, uh, it was pretty funny and pretty lighthearted, he was he was uh, getting on Chris Kirster and Sarah Spencer for not voting, that kind of stuff, it was a pretty light- lighthearted conversation, but he definitely wanted to support Trey, and I think, you know, I don't, I don't think Trey's going to start based on the numbers that are out there now, um, as a reminder, fan voting is only half of the formula, so he does not have to be in the top two, but Young is way, way, way behind in the voting, behind the top three, uh, Beal, Kyrie, and Harden are all over a million at this point in votes, and Trey's about 370,000 or so, so that's not going to be able to be made up, I don't think, and then I don't think he's going to beat guys like Harden um, and Beal by enough in the media slash um, player voting to actually start, I would imagine, so I think he'll be an all-star, that's probably going to happen, I would be surprised if he wasn't, but starting does not seem likely at this point in time, based on the fan returns and all of that stuff. As for everybody else on the Hawks, uh, no other Hawk in the top 10 of either front court or back court voting. That isn't a huge surprise um, to me. And again, it's only part of the formula. And honestly, I never thought that Collins or Capella or Hunter was going to start the All-Star game. I think there is a chance that they get one more All-Star, depending on how they play the rest of the way in the first half. But it was it was always going to have to be a coach's vote along the way. So we'll talk about that more when we get there. We're, we're about two weeks away now, by the way. The voting goes through February 16th, which is 12 days from now. And the starters are announced two weeks from tonight 
on February 18th, Thursday. It's a TNT review and all that stuff, and the coaches will vote on reserves after that. So if Trey does not start, he will, he will, he will be reliant on the coaches to vote him in. I would guess that's probably going to happen, but there you go. At any rate, the Hawks are off completely on Friday, so nothing happening there unless they get an announcement from DeAndre Hunter. No, up, no, no update there until this point, so hopefully that's nothing nothing too bad. But the Hawks then play on Saturday at home against the Raptors. That's a team that they're going to be competing directly with for positioning as the Hawks try to avoid the play-in and all that stuff. Toronto and Miami are pretty natural uh, teams for them to be soaring off with for that 6-7-8 kind of slot. And Toronto... It's been a mixed bag this year. It's a winnable game for sure at home. Obviously, it will help if Trey is back in that spot, but I'll have full coverage of that game after the game on Saturday night. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends about the show. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we will see you after the game on Saturday.